It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. What a shame that a few bad apples have to spoil a good time for everyone by breaking the rules. Put a sock in it, boy, or else you'll be out of here like shit through a goose. Welcome to the Bashcast, brought to you by BuckyBashing.net, betting at 100.1 and above. This is Bashcast episode number 158 miles out and 6 feet deep. It is 33 minutes past 7pm on Thursday the 21st of November 2019. Coming up on this evening's Bashcast, we look at a very silly William Hill bet that our calculations either make extremely good or extremely ridiculous. We look through November's results, talk a little bit about the variance in thin value betting and uh, discuss a new racing tracker that we have on the site after the break. Topless dealers at a poker tournament in Malta and the sports bet news story we didn't get to last week will be covered this week. All that and more coming up on the Bashcast. Uh, got nothing on in the background on this evening's Bashcast. Well, I've got Bet365 window open just so I can follow the live scores of the women's football, which um, we're betting on this evening. Of course we are, the Women's League Cup. I need a goal from Arsenal in the next eight seconds. Am I going to get one? I am not. And um, Antwerp get. In the Belgium First Division. Um, so little sport on. I don't remember a Thursday with so little sport on. It's the end of the um, internationals. And what a period of time that, that internationals was for me. It was a really hot streak. It's crazy when people say... I've seen them say, oh, no, not the dreaded international break. The last few international breaks, I've made more money than I do. And it comes back to this... Um, Point that when there is a bit of uncertainty and the markets are less liquid, it's, there's just more opportunity. You know, it's so difficult to make money uh, on Chelsea versus Liverpool Sunday afternoon game live on Sky Sports. That's a really difficult period of time to make money because the markets have been shaped within an inch of their lives. The entire world's concentration is on them, and any little anything that's out of line, any little blip, it'll just be shaped. Whereas you know who's looking at who's looking at the women's league cup on a Thursday night? Well, I'll tell you who is. We are, and also all the internationals. Really good. Really lots of opportunities there. November's going well for me. I don't, was it the last bash cast? Was I moaning that things were going badly? If I was, then well, things have turned around. We're going to talk about that in the second segment. We're going to have a look at the profit and the variance, the expected variance that we've gone through this month. It's going okay though. I've still, it's the 21st today, I've fasted for 
10 days out of 21, so nearly 50%. I want to get to November the 30th and having done 15 days out of 30, so I'm only one day behind. Um, I'm doing two-day fasts at a time now because I find that easier than one day on, one day off. Do two days fasting at a time, although the second night can get a little bit, little bit, I don't know. I think grumpy is probably the word. You just get a little bit, a little bit grumpy on the second night. But that's sort of mitigated. You also get, you know, periods of delirium. It really is kind of up and down with the emotions. But I enjoy, enjoy the happiness that it brings for those periods as well. It's like it's like the old days, the student days with the drugs, except it's like just fasting, so you're not pumping anything into your system. Um, I haven't done as much CrossFit as I wanted to, though. That's the only thing that's gone wrong. Because I did some thrusters, which are the work of the devil, on... Um, Monday morning and pulled my back for like the fourth time this year fifth time this year something like that I normally do it doing deadlifts I did it doing a thruster on Monday probably just because my technique sucks and I don't engage my back and since doing that I'll tell you what's the most fun in the entire world having a pulled muscle in your lower back that's so bad you can't even walk you need your wife's help to get up to go to the toilet in the middle of the night and also looking after a one year old all day that's just honestly i swear to god it's the worst it really is because he's got no sympathy and he just wants to pick it up all the time anyway so health wise betting wise well let's have a look at something that came up yesterday so the new bets still continue to roll in at william hill they've obviously had a meeting up above somewhere where they've discussed We've got to stop stop doing these things that are easy to calculate. Maybe start doing things that are a little bit harder to calculate. Um, and so a lot of the bets that they've been pumping out recently have been to do with goal time splits. Well, we can do those. We can do goal line splits. Some of them have been completely wrong. Some of them, they are kind of spot on, but we're definitely finding some value. Here's one from yesterday. So it was the FA Cup replays, four FA Cup replays yesterday. Just minor games, really minor games, which means that hopefully we can find some value in them. Today's great sports offer two, a goal, a card and a corner in the first 30 minutes, the middle 30 minutes and the last 30 minutes in tonight's four FA Cup matches. So, right, here we go with the ambiguous definition again. So a goal card, a corner in the first 30 minutes, the middle 30 minutes, and the last 30 minutes in tonight's four FA Cup matches. Does that mean... Does that mean that it wins if the four games are nil-nil, 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 and nil-one after 30 minutes? Um, or does that mean that all four games have to have a goal in the first 30 minutes? You know? I mean... If there has to be a single corner across four games in 30 minutes, that's definitely going to happen when you have like an average of 10.5 corners a game. And it's quite an action league over in Belgium. So it's confusing. Well, they've priced it up at evens. If it can be any of the four games to have a goal in the first 30 minutes, a card in a corner, and a goal in the middle 30 minutes, a card in a corner, and a goal in the last 30 minutes. That works out as about, fair odds would be 1.25. So there you go, evens to back and 1.25 fair odds. So you almost intuitively think, well, that can't be right. 
So must be all four games needing a goal, a card, and a corner in each 30-minute segment of the game. Well, if that's true, that's about 30 to 1 in each match for that to happen. So that would be, for all four matches, about evens to back 320,000 to would be fair odds. So neither of those can ring true. So thank, well done, William Hill. I'm not going to complain. Um, for starters, it's difficult to bet on it, especially they uh, they released a notification to all staff that anything over the odds uh, over staking two hundred pounds has to be PTL'd. Again, typical William Hill. You know, you can get two hundred pounds on at one to ten, where you would be winning twenty quid. You can get two hundred pounds on at hundred to one, where you would be winning twenty thousand pounds. Of course, you know, but um, that means that anything down at evens and odds on. Just there is a logistical issue in staking enough that makes them less attractive bets. Add that with the fact that we have ambiguity of definition. It's either extremely good or extremely bad. Uh, it makes it unappealing to bet on. Now, we've been using these um, splits to work these out. Now, we've had, we had to come up with some splits quite quickly um, when the bets were released originally we had some splits for I, in all honesty that this is duncan's area if i need some data quickly or anything like that i'm busy doing the calculations in the morning he'll go and source it i'm not passing the book i am passing the book <laughs> so he saw some data we got 13.3 percent of goals were scored in the first 15 minutes of the match turns out that the it, these splits have to be they're quite sensitive for the bets you know when you're taking um expected goals and then dividing by these average splits and then especially if you're applying a probability distribution afterwards they're very sensitive you need to get these splits right and the data that he used was taken from 2013 since then there's been some sort of shift where um, the fewer goals earlier essentially um and so maybe for the first couple of days that we were working these out possibly we were being marginally um optimistic and it is very small amounts so for example there was a three to one bet the other day we made it 3.6 fair odds perhaps it could have been 3.68 fair odds 3.7 if we were using more up-to-date data. Anyway, we've got the more up-to-date data. Now we're using 12.58% of goals in the first 15 minutes. We have splits for every minute range up to half time. And so we're good to um, we're good to go on these and there have been loads of value on them. So long may they continue. The great hip hop philosopher Mace once said, Now, who's hot, who's not? Mo money in this world, mo problems. Look, I might have professional gambler down as me on my CV, but I like talking about money as much as the next Englishman, i.e., not at all. Hate it. Because I feel like I'm bragging. That's why, even when I'm not. And it's this weird thing. It's like, you know, you say you, you went and spent a thousand pounds at a restaurant and you tell you, you know, some people, oh, I went to this really nice Michelin star restaurant and I'm not saying it 
to brag at you and I'm not saying it to tell you that I'm better than you are. I'm trying to share a really cool experience that I had. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to tell you what the fat doc was like, not to tell you that, wow, how cool I am. Look how amazing I am. I went to the fat doc. I'm trying to share the experience of going to an exceptional world-class restaurant. And it's the same with money. I'm not talking about money because I'm showing off. I'm talking about money because I'm sharing the experience with some people that listen to a professional gambling podcast of what it's like to go on a heater. So I went on a heater, an exceptional heater. I went on two very, very strange runs of variance in the month of November. Where's my graph? So at the beginning, went on just an unbelievable downswing, way more than it should have been. And lost, I was down five and a half thousand pounds at some point, at worst, 5,613 was my lowest ebb, right? And I, that's a really crazy downswing for like a week and a half. I mean, that's unheard of, I think. And it was just like everything was losing. I know I bet on more than one thing in the same match, which means that if one thing loses, the other is likely to lose, if that makes sense. But to have so many consecutive bets at like, at one point, I think, I don't know, like 50 bets in a row. Lost. I mean, normally you get like one wins and a couple of because I'm not betting at huge odds. I love what I'm betting at is at three to four, one, four to one, five to one. I have 50 bets in a row lose. So I was down, I was down an amount that wasn't outside of the realms of expectation, but still was starting to make me notice, if that makes sense. I have stop losses for various things, and I hit a stop loss at one of those things, and that was. Um, I hit a stop loss on golf. Now, a stop loss doesn't mean that I stop betting. A stop loss just means, okay, reassess what you're doing and tell me that you're comfortable or do you need to change? Do you need to either change strategy? Do you need to change staking levels? Or do you need to um, um, stop doing it completely? That's what my stop loss is, right? So on golf, I have a £5,000 stop loss, meaning if I hit that then let's just reassess where we are um golf uh haven't hit a winner since we had burnt wiesberger in the italian open way back um nearly two months ago a month and a half ago that was the last winner that i had since then i've had in the cj cup cameron smith and gary woodland who were tied third justin walters in the portugal masters and second Brian Gay was third in the Bermuda. Louis Oosthuizen was third in the WGC. Eric Van Ruen was second, along with Victor Perez in the Turkish Airlines. And then another second with Vaughan Taylor in the Mayakoba Classic. In fact, last week, the Ned Bank Challenge and the Mayakoba Classic, um, I had a good pal who had a 19,000 to 1 double on Vaughan Taylor and... Um, Lombard, you're a South African man, to win both of their tournaments last week, taking both of them from the tracker, 125 to 1, both, I think, 
No, 175 to 1 Lombard, 125 to 1 Vaughan Taylor, something like that. I don't know if he got those prices on both of them, but they would have been around about that um, region. And he had a 19,000 to 1 double on the two of them. And they were both in either first or second, through the second round, through the third round. In fact, 175 to 1 Xander Lombard would have placed as long as he didn't go over five over par on his last round, which is something nobody in the top 30 did. Lombard did, of course, and so finished one off the places. Unbelievable. And so as a result of that, I hit my stop loss in golf. And all the stop loss meant was, look, I'm five grand down um, over a couple of months in, in, in this period in time. Am I comfortable with the strategy? Do I want to bet on fewer golfers? Do I want to start staking a little bit lower? Where am I? You know? And so I looked at what I was doing, who I was betting on, um, what the variance of those bets were given the average EV and things like that. And um, decided that nothing needed changing and I've got another five grand stop loss on golf now. Okay? So... Um, I will reassess if I lose another 5,000. Hopefully I don't. I think it's quite extreme that I did. But I'm well over 5,000 up um, anyway. So this is one thing to remember. I am Essentially, I'm losing house money. Okay, I'm playing with house money and I'm losing it. Now, imagine I'm going to make money in the future, I hope, because I do this professionally and I have a mortgage to pay for and children that need clothes and food annoyingly. And so um, I'm going to continue doing this. Now, to make money, I have to lose money. I'm going to lose money that I make from the bookmakers. So looking into the future, I'm going to have a downswing in the future. Don't know how big it's going to be. Perhaps it's going to be five grand. But that five grand, I'm going to make it first and I'm going to take it from the bookmakers, and then I'm going to lose it. So why in the future would I be annoyed that I've lost this money that I, I'd just taken from the bookmakers and then lost? You know? I shouldn't be annoyed. So in the future, when I look at it, I'm not going to be frustrated that I'm losing house money, because I'm using it for... There's a purpose, there's a means why I'm using it. And that means is to make more money. And in order to make money, I have to have a losing run. So I had that negative run which golf contributed to um, at the beginning of November. Since then, I have made nearly £20,000. £20,000. I've made about 18500 And um, that's probably going to go over twenty tonight with the way that this women's football's gone, which is 4 nil 6-1. Wow, where did 6-1 come from? Um, lots of good things happening in that. And also Antwerp, Ghent. Now, combine that with the fact that I was five grand down at one point, at my worst, I'm something like, well, I'm exact, I'm like £14,000 up. £14,701 up for November. Now, uh, again, I'm not saying this, no one's bragging. I'm obviously quite pleased with that total, but look, I could go on a, I could go on a run of losses and I could, I'm not, I'm not going to end £14,701 at the end of the month. I mean, I, I'd like to have more, but I could have less. Could lose five grand. So I posted up all my bets for the first 20 days on a site um, on Bucky Bashing. And it just basically, I went through, so I don't have extremely good records. 
uh, I don't record EV very well because um, the EV can be estimations. I sometimes record it when it's easy, but a lot of the time I either just note it down or don't note it down at all. I found that over time, the more I faff with recording information, the less I'm actually going and looking for opportunity, if that makes sense. So there was that episode of Red Dwarf. Do you remember when Rimmer was putting together an exam timetable and he would have he would have this massive A1 sheet covered in post-it notes and he'd have right angles and perfect lines and multicolors for different subjects and he would spend five weeks putting together this revision timetable. He would only have six weeks until his exams and then he would stress that he didn't have enough time and then he would end up writing all of the answers on his hand and uh, then he would get nervous and sweat and that would turn into... So it's kind of the same thing for me. I realised that the less time I spend on admin and the more time I spend actually doing sort of value-added activities, the more I'll make. You know, so I've stripped back a little stuff. I just I use a notation, a very quick notation shorthand that kind of only I understand for what the bet is, my stake in the odds for most of it, which means that it's quite difficult for me to track EV and where I should be. But it's always like that when you trust in the math and the EV as much as I do, you don't track it as much anymore. You don't track the EV, you don't track the bets, although I should because I should be targeting where things are working on. Well, they're not working. One of the things that comes up a lot of the time, excuse me for the clicking, but I need to get to this model here, is the virtual doubles, which are the thinnest of the thinnest and the most volatile thing you can bet on. Because these virtual doubles from Betfred, they're typically, say, 13, let's call them 17 to back, and 15.5 would be fair odds. That's 109%. That's about average of what I see. So we have this variance model. It's just a spreadsheet that um, illustrates the possible returns that you would have given a particular strategy. Okay. So let's plug into this 109% EV, right? And I'm going to put 1,000 bets because, you know, that seems reasonable. And let's put odds of average odds of 2.0. And what we see here is that, you know, the graph shows that almost everybody, I would say maybe it looks like 1% of people would be negative over a thousand bets, betting of average odds evens at 109%, right? Now let's do 100 bets. And you do 100 bets. And you see that we're now looking at about 30%. You see, that's how many bets you need to average out variance. You could go 100 bets and 30% of people would have a negative return on investment betting at evens at 109%. But we're not not looking at 100 bets. We are looking at, well, let's take Fred's virtual doubles. There are two a day. And let's say you hit every single one of every day. So that's 700 and 30 bets. The average is 109%. Now let's put the average odds at 17. And what we see is that, yes, 50% of people have, you know, that 9% return on investment because it's 109% EV. But I would say about 40% of people would be negative and 60% of people would be positive betting. So that's betting on every single 
Um, virtual double over a year, 730 of them um, at 109%. And you may say, but it's 109% TV. How can 40% or 30% of the people be negative betting 730 bets at 109% TV? And the answer is because we're betting at 16 to 1. That's the reason why, right? So if you have something that is evens, and 109% and something that is 16 to 1 and 109%. It is so much more attractive to bet on um, the evens than it is to bet on the 16 to 1, right? So have a play around with this spreadsheet. I recommend it because basically... All these strategies can be positive expectation, but the chances of being in the red increases relative to sample size, EV, and odds. The shorter the odds, the higher the sample size that you have and um, the higher the EV, the more chance that you're going to be in the green. Now, at the beginning of, uh, at the beginning of November, I reckon I had, let's just check this graph out. I reckon I had 77 bets at the beginning of November, right? It's not very many. So sample size 77. Let's say my average EV was 120%, which would be high, but not completely outrageous. And then my average odds, I'm going to put at five. There we go. And we see there now that it looks like about 25% of people would have been negative. But of those, maybe about 10% of people, 5% of people would have been about minus 40%, minus 50% return on investment. And I reckon that's where I was, you know? I was right down there after 77 bets, um, having one hardly anything and I was about minus 50% ROI so I reckon I was like the just a bad 5% it felt worse but then you look at the you look at the distribution chart and I was just the worst one in 20 so he's okay so you were a 20 to 1 shot that didn't come in how many 20 to 1 shots or sorry a 20 to 1 shot that did come in an unlucky 20 to 1 shot well how many 20 to 1 to 1 shots do we have that come in that make us money so it was okay i think the important thing i think the thing that separates us is that we didn't freak out we didn't really worry massively that we were doing something wrong whilst the returns were unfortunate whilst the fact that None of my Champions League requester bets and uh, William Hill sport offers in shop and um, any of the premiership trebles or anything like that. None of the coupons were coming in. Um, there was there was no need to panic just because we had been extremely unlucky. What there was was the necessity to keep an eye on any stop losses review the golf strategy, ensure we were happy to continue and put some, you know, protective measures in place if things were st would get really bad, if we went from a 1 in 20 to a 1 in 100. As it was, we were probably as lucky from the middle of November until now as we were unlucky at the beginning of November. So that's why this has been an extremely strange month. One of the strangest months I've ever had. Um, I had one of the oddest and worst 
downswings at the beginning of the month and have had one of the oddest and best upswings since that point. And um, wouldn't it just be nice if we lost a little bit and then just won a little bit more and then lost a little bit and then just won a little bit more because then we wouldn't have... um, we wouldn't be on this roller coaster, but then perhaps this roller coaster that we're sitting on right now is the reason, secretly, that we uh, that we or maybe just me that I do this in the first place. Can't speak for everybody, of course. I don't know. So, um, look, I hate. I, there was a request before that one of the best things of the Bashcast was when I went through the money that I made, and I kind of always felt just a little bit uncomfortable especially the old days of casinos when i couldn't share the casino profits at least with sports when i'm winning i know a lot of the you know every single thing i've bet on and put on this table everything single thing i bet on i put on the site i share it it's annoying when it gets cut very soon after i've got on it um a lot of the times because i'm betting really thin the bookmakers are just catching up and they've caught up just after i've got on it um a lot of the times i put things on the site and i don't get on them myself there may be two reasons for that Uh, one i can't win enough so i generally try and win a thousand pounds i'll go up to two and a half thousand liability if things are extreme ev it's very difficult to do that online um i i relax a little bit online and try and maybe think about winning 500 pounds um and then i'm not that interested if it if the returns are going to be less than 500 occasionally i might have something for 375 or something like that but um um that's that's really just so that i can you know have skin in the game um and have an interest in something um but generally um uh, i put a lot of the stuff on the site the requester bets and the pick your puns Sometimes I'm doing it um, after I've put the kids to bed, and that can be an unknown period of time, how long that takes. I think anyone with kids knows that. And um, I can sit down at 7 o'clock, quarter past 7. It can take a little bit of time to get the data refreshed through Betfair's API and then go and get all the corners and cards um, lines refreshed and then go to Betfred, William Hill and Sky and start scraping all of those. And I start putting the, all of them up on the site. And especially if any of them are big, I need to check that nothing's gone wrong before putting them up because I've got like 900 permutations of these your odds. There, there is the occasional error that comes across in the model. At the beginning of doing this, one or two of them were slipping and going up on the site. So, for example, um, I'd be we'd be thinking that you know home team to have three plus corners was a really decent bet, I'd, and I'd accidentally set my model up to be home team two plus corners. Well, what happens there is it goes up in the tracker. Somebody notices that they don't think it's good. They comment. I check it out. We find the error. We change it. We never see the error again. You see, laziness is making the same mistake over and over and over again. And everyone should be encouraged to make mistakes. But what you do is you make those mistakes and then you put processes and things in place so that you don't repeat the same mistake over and over again. You make the mistake once, you don't make it again. It's a lot of how this um, Your Odds request a bet model is working. And now I think we're through a bit of a rocky period on it and it's looking good. And I put them up on the site and then I go to the next game and really... I, I'm shooting myself in the foot a lot of the time because I don't have time to get on these things myself. And then I'm more than aware when they come in. You'd think I'd be blinkered and wouldn't bother looking at the games to see if Man United three plus corners in each half didn't come in. But of course, I, I do go and have a look and um, and kick the, kick the door. I was going to say kick the cat. 
when they come in, but I don't kick the cat. She's a hard enough life. She's only got one eye. So quite frequently I don't get on some of these big ones that go up on the track. But that's okay. There's, there's almost a little bit of fallacy there because it's like you notice more the ones that you don't get on that come in. And you, it's, you're, it's really easy to forget the ones that you don't get on and they lose. You never think, oh, I was going to get on that and I didn't have time. But it lost, so I've made money. You never think that. You know, you almost dismiss that from your memory, selective memory. You know what I mean? It's like you only really remember the ones that that you didn't get on and they did come in. And life doesn't work like that. It's not that simple. So, um, so that's an update on the profits this month. Uh, I might drop in a couple of times. I'll try and balance this and give an update of actual numbers when I'm being smashed in and I haven't had a recovery. So when I've gone on a losing run, and let's look at it there. Because there's got to be some balance. There's got to be some honesty. So I know at the beginning of the Bashcast, I used to just talk about all the winners that came in because it's boring talking about losers. But I think there is probably for the sake of balance, the requirement to um, um, to sort of isolate a losing stretch whilst we're in the middle of it and record a Bashcast at that time. I'll, I'll do my best, guys, okay? We have a new racing tracker up, um, a new tool that Lee has added. Just got in there in time before he has a new baby. Lee's baby due beginning of December, I think. Uh, at which point, probably never see him again. Which is as the way when uh, new arrivals come along. So we've had um, the racing tracker for a little bit of time. And what the racing tracker did, I mean, it's it's... Just like um, just like the golf tracker, just like a lot of betting edges, it is taking advantage of the bias that exists in each way betting, the fact that we can get one to four or one to five odds, um, and the fact that when there is certain field compositions that presents um, some horses being positive EV. Um, now. When we've looked at it, there are other places. We're not by any means the first to look at bias in each way bets in horse racing. But what we've tried to do is eliminate the need for a liquid exchange. So to take advantage of whatever you want to call them, filthy each ways, bad each ways. I mean, a lot of them aren't even filthy or bad. It doesn't require a short-priced favourite for there to be bias in the field. Um, you sort of need to know what the odds of a horse finishes in, in the places are, and for that you need a liquid exchange. And you really don't often get liquid exchanges in the place markets in horse racing until right up to the time of the off. That means that it can be difficult using that methodology to work out if there is any value or not. But the exchanges aren't the only way to know uh, or estimate what the fair odds of a horse winning coming or in the places are. So um, we um, have gone and looked elsewhere, whether it's bookmakers um, plus top price or fave long shot bias or something like that. Um, we've used other methods to figure out what fair odds of a horse placing are. And by using other methods, that means that we can look at so many more races and come up with a rating for each race. 
Um, so I'm looking at the racing tracker now, and we've had this for some time, and it's got tomorrow's races on, Catterick 12.15. Um, the 120 looks like uh, it's got a slightly higher rating there, um, and we list the runners and the ratings and etc. etc. None of the ratings are over 100, but there is one at 97.86, and the reason for that is because it's the day before, um, and um, bookmakers are very protective on the prices. So what... This has been around for a little bit of time. It's still in beta. Um, one of the reasons it's in beta four is just because of the way that it scrapes data. It can be just a little bit delayed. And because it's delayed, it just can occasionally mean that some of the prices um, are cut. They're not um, held. Um, all of that will go away, hopefully, I think, by even next week because I'm moving it from beta to live tool. But the new... Uh, racing EV finder that I really like. What this table does is it just presents all the horses from all of the races and it ranks them by EV. And um, there are various filters that you can use. And that means that, for example, if you want to place, um, if you don't want to sit and bet on every single race during um, the day, you just want to do one bet in the morning. And in all honesty, I'm saying this because this is what I want to do. I don't want to sit in front of a racing EV tracker all day placing bets. I mean, you could and you'd make money doing it. I think it's just a little bit boring. But I'm still interested. And so what I want to do is, first thing, I'll place a um, lucky 15 or a lucky 31. So this would be an each way lucky 15. So a lucky 15 is four horses and you get the four singles, you get the doubles, you get the trebles and you get the fourfold. And if one wins, you're probably not going to win anything. Uh, if, if it's a double, you you may be in profit. If it's a treble, you almost certainly will. And the fourfold is jackpot. We're going to Disneyland, baby. So a £3 each way lucky 15. You're placing two bets on each of 15 permutations. So that is three times two is six times 15 is 90 pounds. That's about my standard stake on the lucky 15s. In fact, over the last month of November, I've had a couple that have gone to the last race and that last race would have paid, you know, high thousands of pounds. And one of them was on a favorite and he finished 50 lengths in the back. But that, again, that's just focusing on one race. You forget the times where you're lucky and you beat the you beat a horse by a nose uh, when you shouldn't have done. So... Um, this is a really cool tool. I hope that the inclusion of a lucky 15 um, uh, table on the tracker um, where you can filter by your favorite bookmaker. Maybe you want William Hill because you're placing it in shops. Maybe Betfred or Ladbrokes because you're placing it in shops. Uh, if we have the inclusion of this table, what this also means is you can maybe, you know, with the, it's the same as the football coupons. That means you, you only really need one or two plus EV horses. You can throw in a couple of marginally negative EV horses. It'll still be a good bet, this lucky 15. It'll still be a decent bet. But where the benefits come in is we're compounding the EV. So if you have 107%, 107%, 107%, 107% horse, the EV, the average EV of your bet slip is going to be 115%. Right, because you're compounding EV, you're taking plus EV, you're multiplying it by plus EV, you're create you're creating you're creating value out of nowhere just by compounding your bets by placing multiples. Um, so, and uh, the, there are a load of benefits of doing this. One of them is that you're obviously not arbing. Another one is that you can throw some negative EV horses in there just to miss it, just to confuse the bookmaker. And what this sort of achieves is that you extend the life of an account or a shop where you're betting on value 
uh, where you're betting on horses. You see, the, the bookmakers are on the lookout for arbors. Horse racing arbors must be the easiest thing in the world to identify, and then you get restricted. So this is just one of the ways where we can um, elicit some of the value from horse racing whilst appearing like a mug punter. Um, and again, as I say, I don't want to sit in front of every race for eight hours, placing a few each way bets. I would think that that's extremely boring. I also certainly don't want to have a bot installed on my computer that places 50p each way bets on restricted accounts for me. That's just dumb. We discussed it a couple of weeks ago. What I do fancy though is every single day having a uh, lucky 15, each way lucky 15 horse bet taking four best horses at a bookmaker a day, compounding the EV, maybe having one or two for um, money back or a small profit, and having the dream of the all four coming in and having a jackpot payday on any day of the week. All right, guys, that's enough for the first half. You are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BuckyBashing.net.
welcome back to the Bashcast. It's District 7 by Joris Vaughan, Broken Mix, 2018. I'm the one who found you. Oh, yeah? How are you feeling? Yeah, good. Hey, what's close, mate? Blackburn women nil, Liverpool women four, Reading women four, Crystal Palace women nil. They're not close, but I could do with a goal in each of them to bring home the goal in each half of the Women's League Cup. Ten minutes left, we'll see. In the bookie bashing news. Um... Poker story, because I'm playing all the poker in the world right now, right? Um, This was back in October. This happened. The Battle of Malta uh, is a um, tournament series in... Which country is it in? I can't quite think. I'll come back to that. Um, It's got a smallish main event. I think the main event at the Battle of Malta is um, 550 euros. And that was going ahead on Sunday, the October the 20th. So I'm a little bit late, I'm a month late for this story. But as it was going on, um, social media blew up. Uh, and this story is just bizarre. So apparently the Battle of Malta organisers decided to spice up the 110 euros ladies event by removing some layers from the male dealers who were set to pitch the cards for the women playing in the event. That's right, they decided just before the event was going to start that it was going to be topless dealers. Because that's what the ladies want, right? David Byrne, a poker player and advocate for women in poker and representative of Betson Poker, was present for the charade. She posted on Twitter, this is the tweet that kind of escalated. She said, I'm not really sure how the Battle of Malta think this is an acceptable gimmick for a ladies' event. I, like most of the ladies here, find this demeaning for both the players and the dealers. And there is a picture here of a man maybe in his late 40s or 50s and he's wearing a white like that white collar thing around his neck with the black bow tie and then he's just completely topless dealing the cards onto the table um uh, burn later reported on twitter that the matter was resolved at the first break with the dealers returning the shirts to their backs and some female dealers joining in to deal the event, all of them fully clothed. Uh, from the perspective of many, though, the damage had been done. What a ridiculous idea. According to some accounts, to the, on the tournament floor, shortly before the event in question, male dealers were scheduled to deal the tournament, were offered an additional €50 Euros to do so shirtless. So this wasn't even advertised as a you know male topless dealer event um, it was advertised as a normal ladies only event 
And given that, you know, something like 5% of entrants into poker tournaments are women, women, I think, have a hard enough time. I think the reason 5%, it's 5% or whatever it is, is because you sit on a poker table, a lot of men are just jerks, just complete, they're either sleazeballs or sexist or they're just jerks to be around. I mean, to be fair, a lot of them are jerks to men and women equally, but still, I, I can completely understand why women would want to play in a women-only tournament until men stop being jerks all the time. Makes sense to me. I would probably want to do the same. Um, and someone's decided that what w- women really want more about um, more than anything in the entire world is to see all the male dealers topless. Um, one particular male dealer who wished to remain anonymous shared his distaste for the way he and his colleagues were positioned by tournament organisers. I think it's disgusting how, with one hour's notice, they want us male dealers to deal the ladies' event with no tops on, he said. It's degrading for men. In an era of social media and live streaming via mobile phones, it's borderline prostitution as dealers who would be enticed would earn 50 euros more than anyone else. Apparently, the shirt removal wasn't the first peculiar act asked of the Battle of Malta dealers during the festival. For main event day one starting flights, the Battle of Malta replaced the traditional shuffle up and deal with shuffle up and dance, during which time dealers were strongly encouraged to stand up and dance prior to getting cards in the air. Dancing at the start of all day ones wasn't enough for them and they tried to make everyone who didn't dance feel bad by publicly announcing the dealer who danced on centre stage would get 100 euros more than everyone else, the anonymous dealer said. We are professional poker dealers, not dancers or strippers. Protection for us freelance dealers needs to start now because the industry needs us. So... There you go. If you want um, dancing dealers and topless dealers, you want to head down to Malta. Uh, many poker insiders have contributed their thoughts in this matter. Um, the recently named International Affairs Director for the Women's Poker Association um, said... The situation during the ladies' event was a very poor judgment decision from the organisers to create a marketing gimmick. It tarnishes all the hard work they put into the event. We are working to create an equal ratio in the poker industry to be taken seriously as women in poker and sexualized dress codes for men or women are a topic that needs to be addressed. Um, the WPA will not support or promote events that endorse this kind of behaviour in either genders. Our focus on this issue is a call to action to the industry to remove this kind of discriminatory requirements for dealers as it impacts the perception, involvement and participation in the game we love. To be fair, I don't think I've ever heard of this happening ever before. This just seems like a one-off. It was probably a single person with an extremely bad... um, judgment who made a decision that women wanted to see topless dealers and almost certainly a he was wrong could have been a she though what do i know Uh, the battle of malta organizers issued the following statement after careful reflection we would like to apologize wholeheartedly for any offense caused during the year this year's ladies event 
Our intention at the Battle of Malta is to create a fun and welcoming atmosphere for everyone at all times during the festival. Stop right there. Stop right there. Enforced dancing is never fun. Ever. Have you ever been on holiday and they bring out people to dance for you? I hate it when they do it. They did it. We were in... We were on honeymoon. We were in this... Um, um, where was it? San... It was San Andreas. I remember that because it was uh, like the San Andreas from Grand Theft Auto. We were on holiday in Colombia, me and Jen. We were on the island of San Andreas. And on this island, you can go to some caves where Captain Morgan, off of Captain Morgan's rum, stashed his treasure. And then we went to see this museum. It was the worst museum you ever saw in your entire life. I mean, fair play to the locals for cashing in, but it really was bad. So, like, they had a museum. um, But instead of getting relics from the medieval ages uh, and teaching people about sailing techniques and piracy and the dangers that were faced um, traveling long distance on primitive boats of the era, instead of that... They had pictures of Johnny Depp and Pirates of the Caribbean and glorifying the, um, you know, the the Hollywood sort of brand of pirates. It's like much less interesting. So we were there for about 18 seconds before deciding that we'd seen enough. But we were ushered around the back and um, we were sat down and they brought these sort of teenagers in front of us. Uh, and the teenagers were asked to dance and it was just me and Jen there and there's about eight teenagers and they were all in like dress and we're just sat on these chairs like complete lemons and we're watching enforced dancing enforced fun and I don't want to see it I don't want them to be doing it I'd rather everyone was just stood around having a beer in a conversation it was extremely awkward and I made my excuses and said I'm good I need to go to the toilet you watch this for like 30 seconds and then you say you need to go to the toilet and we'll do a runner so I went to the loo and then I waited long enough and then I came out of the loo and I saw Jen walking towards the loo and because we'd both left there was no point in them dancing anymore and she walked towards the loo and then we both went for a right angle and we walked out of like a staff entrance into the road outside and we made it all the way to our vehicle the only problem was that our vehicle of choice to get to this museum was parked facing uphill a electric golf cart. I have no idea if you've ever in your entire life attempted to make a getaway using an electric golf cart, especially one facing uphill. Piece of life advice for you. If you're doing the Hatton Garden robbery or anything like that, choose an alternative mode of transport because we walked out of the staff entrance we ran to the golf cart we jumped into the golf cart we turned the key um, and we turned around and we saw the staff members perplexed coming towards us wondering what they'd done wrong seeing us doing a runner without you know tipping or anything like that they were generally being quite pleasant and nice um and i jen said floor it and i put my foot down And we zoomed off at about half a mile an hour so slowly that if you casually walked, you would probably overtake us. And we were rushing to get away from these people and they just walked along the pavement to the side of us and then started asking where we were going, why we were leaving. And we just 
stared straight forward, pretended we couldn't see them. The whole thing was even more awkward than the actual dancing, and it's all the fault of enforced dancing. Um, this was in the Bookie Bashing News the other week. Carolina Panthers 13, San Francisco 49ers 51. That was Scorigami. What is Scorigami? Follow at NFL underscore Scorigami on Twitter. Um, Carolina 13, San Francisco 51. 5113 is the 1052nd unique final score in NFL history. If there is a more pointless yet more entertaining Twitter handle available than at NFL underscore Scorigami. I'm yet to hear about it. Sports bet in Australia have incorrectly um, advertised boosted odds that no player would make 40 or more disposals in the round 10 AFL matches in May. Now, excuse me for my lack of knowledge. I'm going to have to Google disposal in um, uh, Aussie rules just now because I don't quite know what that is. Fan of all sports, I've been to see... um, I've been to see Aussie rules in Australia, but I'm not entirely sure what a disposal is. So it says here... Disposal is passing the ball legally via handball or kick in Aussie rules. Um, Don't argue. Oh, okay. Sorry, that's the next one of the glossary. So a disposal is just passing the ball. Okay, fine. Fair enough. It's like, it's just a pass, right? Um, So Sportsbet had boosted that no player in round 10 AFL matches um, would make 40 or more disposals as the last two games in the League Cup have goals and that is yet another winner at William Hill. They're getting rinsed. That was a 9-1 to one that's come in. <laughs> Keen-eyed punter Lee Kitchen told Daily Mail Australia that he noticed that a nine-leg bet on the overvalued market worked out to odds of 150-1. to one. Um, it seemed a little high, as in, 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 but this was a nine-leg multi, so they quickly add up along with Sportsbet's power play boost, whatever that is, right? Mr. Kitchen said he immediately posted his tip to the AFL Professor Facebook group, a group focused on AFL analytics, and we all agreed that there was value and plenty of members got on the play. So I don't know what the odds of... I do not know what the odds... Um, well, oh, no, hold on. Now, wait a minute. There, it says here, we can work this out. A lot of us use data analysis to find betting plays. We feel offer good value versus the odds. The tip on the Facebook page spread like wildfire and fellow punters made large wages. Mr. Kitchen himself only put down $5 and won 750 So that, oh, yeah. So, okay. So that's 150 to 1. Um, uh, 
So I didn't win a lot, but I've had a ton of people message me and sending me pineapples to buy slabs, apparently, Mr. Kitchen said. To me, the general satisfaction was providing a winner play to hundreds of others who directly benefited in my analysis. So I don't know what the fair odds would have been on this 150 to 1 bet. Maybe it was 100 to 1, maybe it was 10 to 1. I don't know. I'd love to know. I'm going to send this to an Aussie mate to try and work out what uh, no passes across 10 uh, games would be. Or... Um, Ethan Zeptin, on the other hand, managed to walk away with nearly $45,000 after placing a $300 bet, so $300 at 150 to 1. He openly admitted to Daily Mail Australia he had misgivings about the odds and thought the market had been an error. Honestly, I thought the odds were ridiculous, but I thought I'd place the bet anyway. A friend had originally told Mr. Zeptin and several others that they'd won $28,000. Um, when it came time to collect, they learnt they wouldn't be paid a cent. No surprise there. Sportsbet told punters that it has every right under its terms and conditions to cancel the bet because of manifest errors. News immediately angered punters who felt shortchanged and cheated. I was pretty angry. The multi won and I felt pretty angry. They took the money so I couldn't see a reason why they couldn't pay out. Now I'll tell you, they wouldn't pay out in the UK and if you went to Ibis, they wouldn't pay out either if it was a, if it was a mistake. It's really annoying and I have sympathy for you. Especially when it's a complicated bet like this. It's not just like something that's straightforward where you can compare the bet against um, a liquid market or a standard um, offering because it's a complicated bet and that's the difference. Mr. Zeptin was directed to a Facebook group where furious punters were taking action. There was a group on Facebook that posted after the match and they said to tender a complaint to the Northern Territory Racing Commission. So we sent a complaint through. Um, the bets made at the time were considered lawful and the commission ordered Sportsbet to pay the punters appropriately. As a result, the commission has determined that all bets struck on the nine Sportsbet AFL plus 40 betting markets of round 10 of the 2019 AFL season are lawful bets pursuant to section 85 1A of the Act. As the bets are determined to be lawful bets, it is the view of the commission that all persons who made a winning bet on any or all of the nine Sportsbet AFL plus 40 betting markets of round 10 of the 2019 AFL season are entitled to be paid the full amount of the winning bet that was struck. A sports bet spokesman told Daily Mail Australia the affected customers have already been topped up. We acknowledge the Northern Territory Commission's determination today and we will be topping up the accounts of affected customers as soon as possible. Note there, they don't say anything about we apologise, we agree, anything like that. All they say is we acknowledge... The Northern Territories Commission determination today, and we will be topping up accounts. It's almost like you have an argument, and the person says, Well, I acknowledge that you disagree with me, and that's the end of the story. Except the punters got paid, and I'm delighted for them. Hopefully, I'll be back on a future Bashcast with news of exactly what fair odds. Uh, for those no players to make 40 or more disposals in round 10 of the AFL matches would have been. Whatever it is that you're betting on this weekend, do make sure it's value. This is Tom signing out. Did the earth move?